When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 124, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined for, let's call this an emergency podcast. We're ringing the bells here. This is our second show of the week, and it's a special occasion, because obviously, if you have this in your ears, you are well aware that Frankie de Jong has picked Barcelona, is coming to Barcelona in the summertime, and so I have brought on our good friend of the show, Noel Vanchart, to help us out Answering the question, what does Frankie de Jong signing mean for Barcelona? And Noel, I, I will have to ask you, you know, it m- could be a monumental moment in the club's history. And in case it is, will you remember where you were when you finally had the news finalized? <laughs> I think I will remember like always. I was in my bed, like refreshing maybe a thousand times waiting for the official announcement because here in the Netherlands, it was made sure that he would sign at five o'clock. So everyone was ready at five o'clock. But then eventually it was, I think, one minute past six in the afternoon here. And that was when he signed. So that was uh, one of the best moments of the year already for me. Yeah, I mean, what a roller coaster up and down, up and down. And, I, you know, I, I guess it, it's it's not a good thing, but I, I know that the more attention, the more hate you get, it means the the more popular you become and the more respected you become. And so unfortunately I have, or fortunately I haven't gotten enough hate for the opinion piece I wrote uh, just about two weeks ago now when it was confirmed that he was going to PSG when it looked like it was all set in stone and it was all going to be done. And so I wrote an opinion piece about how, you know, how just 
how Barcelona and Kules kind of had to move on, that they didn't get what they wanted. That's frustrating. And now it's time to pick things up. And now I basically get to write the opposite, that Kules so often when they want to play like that, they do <laughs> get what they want. And so they did here with uh, signing for 75 million euros and 11 million in variables for a five-year deal through 2023-2024. So we'll get into some of the minutia of the deal and what it could mean for Barcelona, the team, when he comes in the summertime. But We'll get to that in a bit. Let's start at the beginning, Noel, yes. with uh, kind of profiling the player and some interesting things I found about the Dutch player that, you know, he has been to a point a bit of a prodigy. Again, he is only 21 years old, but the guy born in Arkel in the Netherlands started out in the Willem II Academy, signed for Ajax in 2015 after just one season there. He went back for a six-month loan to get some playing time before returning to young Ajax to get ready for the first team. Then in 2017, started making appearances for Ajax and became a starter on both the back line and in the midfield. And the interesting thing to me about his time at Ajax is that by Ajax standards, it seems like he's a little bit of a late bloomer, that he wasn't a guy that was just pushing directly into the first team, but it took a little bit of time for him to kind of establish himself where after making 22 appearances for Willem to U21 squad, he actually never made appearances for the first team, but their, their second team, and then 46 appearances for Ajax's U21s before making 65 appearances for the first team. So it, it really was a little bit of uh, development time for him in comparison to even, again, his good friend and teammate, Matthias De Ligt, who jumped right into the starting lineup as a 17-year-old. True. It's correct. It's correct. He needed some time. Um, I also think that was because of the way he was positioned. Um, he was first seen as a number 10. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Hakim Ziyech, which is like the star of Ajax, was playing on that position. Of course, the Moroccan, um, the Moroccan playmaker. Yep. Exactly. Back then, still very sad about it. But you had Abdel Agnouri, which was the second, let's say, predecessor from Hakim Ziyech. If he would move, because the idea was that he would move, uh, two summers ago, and then he didn't. And last summer, he, he also did not move. So then Nuri was the next in line, basically. And then after Nuri sadly got ill and and, and an accident happened to him, um, then Frankie basically put a step ahead and he got another op- option. And then he, like you said, he started playing as, as a defender when um, Davison Sanchez got sold to Tottenham Hotspur. And they were just trying a libero role that he makes play from the back. And that turned out really well. He had some, I think, a couple of months in that position. And then when the new trainer came, um, he finally got the, got his op- um, his uh, option to play in midfield. And then it, it, everything started, basically, because everyone knew that he was a midfielder. But they were asking, is he good enough? Because he plays as a defender and he doesn't get the opportunity to play in midfield. But it was not his his quality. It was more the how do you say that the hierarchy in the in the in the team. Some players just had a bigger name and a bigger position, so the coach wouldn't bench them yet. It needed time. And with the, with the Licht, it was different because his opponent was just not good enough. There was uh, Viergever. He went to PSV Eindhoven, and then the Licht basically when he was 17, he impressed right away and he got his starting position and is now the captain at 19 years old. So you're right, it's different, but it, 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 were more, it were more other circumstances than his personal quality, I think. Yeah, and I just do want to contradict his time at Ajax compared to the Netherlands, where you look at Ajax, his versatility is 
a compliment to his game and an asset, if you will. He's played five games, even this season, he's played five games at center back after, again, breaking in and playing almost half of last year's competitions at center back. But he's already played 12 at defensive midfield and 11 at central midfield. He's contributed four goals and one assist, but that's not the point of the game. He's first in the Netherlands in key passes, and you know he's just a, a, such an important part of what they do, regardless of where he is on the field. And you you do contra- you, juxtap- you juxtapose that with his play for the Netherlands. It is just five appearances, so it's a much smaller sample size under uh, Ronald Koeman, of course, the Barcelona and Dutch legend. He's played in defensive midfield as that defensive midfielder, as that pivot in every game, including a 3-0 win and 2-2 draw against Germany in the, Nathan, in the Nations League, as well as the 2-0 win over France in the same competition. And, you know, that brings you to the idea that he, upcoming, he's got the Final Four for the Nations League in June against England before he comes to Barcelona, plus a Champions League tie against Real Madrid. So certainly his time in the next few months before he even suits up with Barcelona is going to raise his profile, if anything. But, you know, going to his play and what you've seen with him when he wears the shirt of the orange, that's basically, I'd say, what I've seen, the time that I've been most impressed. And yes, the international game, the club game is different. But the role he's played as that, you know, defensive midfielder, as the guy who can drop in between the center backs and play as a bit of a libero if when, when it's merited, but also can push up field and, you know, become that cover and get balls up over the top and can really deliver a pass. I, I think that's more where he's going to be for Barcelona, as opposed to at Ajax, where at this point, he's the guy controlling all the strings. Yeah, true. With Ajax, um, it's, it's different. You have uh, Lasse Schöne and and uh, Frankie who are playing as the, let's say, DMs. But on paper, they are not really defensive. They do have to do defensive work, but it's more... It has to do with their intelligence. They know where they have to move. They know the spaces. It's basically the Barca football, but then with two guys on the DM position. And then if Frankie goes forward... Uh, Schoen stays behind, etc. That's how they intertwine, basically. And in the Dutch team, it's it's di- it's different because there you have the Roan, a player from Atalanta, very defensive, uh, who's mostly known for grabbing the ball and giving it back as quickly as possible, basically. So Frankie has his support. So the only thing, well, not the only thing, but the main thing that he has to do is basically create lines, breaking lines. When he has the ball, he has the ability. To, to attract players, let's say he has the ball, he waits, two players come, and most players would panic. They would do something stupid, put it behind, lose the ball, maybe put it back to the keeper, but he will not. He will just turn or just do a feint, and that way he can open to the other side or break a line and find Memphis Depay, who also said that, that Frankie makes them play better, and he improved them in just his five games. So you're right, he, he has a more free role there, and more protection. So I guess that is why he excels. I agree. Yeah, one of the questions I, I have there about his play, particularly with Ajax, I guess, in the Eredivisie, but you know, some critics have said that they do worry about De Jong and the amount of space he has when he plays for Ajax, because obviously in the Eredivisie, you're not closed down as quickly as you might be, and it's just not as physical as it is in the Liga. So uh, what are your fears on him being able to dribble his way out of trouble? Because again, if you watch YouTube highlight videos and collections of his highlights, you're going to see a ton of basically just him dribbling his way out of trouble. That seems to be the, the marquee thing. And as we've talked about in the show in the past, to be a top, top level player, there have to be at least one skill that you are 
world class at to excel at Barcelona. And he might be one of the very, very best dribblers out of pressure in the world. But how do you think that's going to translate to Barcelona? And, the, and more importantly, La Liga. I think um, it suits us that he is known to the way of football. Because you've seen it with a lot of players. You've seen it with Coutinho now. Coutinho was maybe the best player in, in the Premier League, or at least top five. But when he plays for us right now, you see that he he just lacks those basics. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean he don't, has, he don't have the quality, but he just lacks the basics to know when you have to ask the ball, when you can dribble, when you see the space. Just look in front of you before you receive the ball. And Frankie is a master when it comes to that aspect. He is, in my opinion, the best ball carrier in the Eredivisie, one of the best in the world, like you said. Um and Barcelona kind of lacks such a player right now. Artur is able to do it, but he is more Safi-esque. He won't make a run and go past two, three players in a swifty way. While Frankie does that four or five times a game. And he still keeps his passing percentage around 90 to 91%, which is like Kroos, Modric and such midfielders. So I think uh, he's definitely able to do it there because... Of course, the Netherlands, uh, where he showed it against France and Germany. And he was one of the best players in those games. As well, in the Champions League against Befica and Bayern Munich, he had good games. Um, and in big games in the Netherlands, he excelled against Feyenoord and PSV, two of the biggest clubs of the, of the Eredivisie, probably after Ajax. And that's why I think he has what it takes to take it up a notch when he goes to Barcelona, because then he will have better players. Um, he will have football that's even more evolved than the way they play at Ajax. Even though it's comparable, Barcelona's football, of course, is better. And he will improve when he plays alongside Busquets, who can learn him more about those kind of things because he is probably the master of playing in short um, spaces in midfield. So I think all those things combined will lead to a, a success story for Frankie because he's also a down-to-earth guy. He is not somebody with a character that is known to make beef or hassle with trainers and players. He basically just a down-to-earth Dutch guy who wants to play football and smiles all the time on every picture. So for me, it's a, it's a dream move, basically. Yeah, and I don't want to continue to be negative, but we've seen both for the Netherlands and the Champions League and even in some of those big matches in the Eredivisie, we've seen him at his best and we know what that looks like. And again, we hope that that's the player we're getting. But the question that I have to ask, again, a lot of our listeners, I'd say the large majority of them, and even for me, I would need a, a special, I guess, not so legal way to watch Ajax unless they're in the Champions League. Yes. So what does it look like with him at his worst in the Eredivisie when he has bad games and everybody has bad games? He'll have some at the camp. No, we'll see that. What does that look like with him at his worst? And I, what I mean by this is that I think of what we've seen so far of Arter. He is still, again, a young midfielder that doesn't necessarily have the forward passing and he doesn't necessarily have the uh, ingenuity yet to aid the attack. But you're right, his pacing and the tempo and the way that he just controls the match has been a perfect fit at Barcelona and really has everyone excited for his future. But my thing for Arthur that excites me is even him at his worst seems to be a passable grade. Now, because of the chances that De Young takes, you know, when he's not on his game, what does that look like, Noel? I have one example, um, or well, maybe two. Um, this year, Ajax played at PSV, which is the number one now. And that day, um, the Licht was sick or injured. At least he couldn't play. Efren was uh, 
uh, USSCB against Luke de Jong, which is one of the tallest strikers uh, in the Eredivisie, known for his heading ability. Mm-hmm. And PSV basically won the game because of that tactic. They played it long. Frankie de Jong had to win his duel, which he obviously couldn't. Um, and then he got caught behind behind the line of Ajax because Ajax plays like Barca with a high line and a lot of space behind the defense. And back in that day, um, he was basically horrible. I, I defend him often, but that day I, I had no options. So, but I have to say that day he played as a defender, which is not his natural position. He just did it for the team, basically. That's what he said in the press conference as well. He don't, he doesn't want to be a defender, but he has the option to do it. And he has the ball a lot of times. So another game um, was uh, this year as well when he played in midfield. I believe it was against Swolle, Peck Swolle, if I'm right, if I'm not mistaken. And and also against Bayern in the Champions League at home when he um, he gave a stupid pass near his own 16 because at Ajax they also, also want to build up from, from behind. They want to pass it, even when it's not possible, like how Barca does it sometimes. You see three players running and they still pass it back or try to combine, make a triangle. And he did that. And then um, there came a situation, I think it was Thiago, who got an ability to dribble and score. And then Bayern was through as, as number one instead of Ajax. Um, so that was a moment at which you could say maybe he should have skipped his principles and just huffed it away. Just how they do, let's say, Stoke City. So such a kind of decision making, um, and those kind of moments are something that he could improve. But to be honest, I did not see a lot of them. The most people in the Netherlands that complain about him say that he, he's only, he's a safe player. He doesn't pass forward, but that's nonsense because I've seen several moments of those kind of passes, and also. The way he dribbles forward is a way of going forward. Not everyone necessarily has to give true passes, especially if you play in a defensive midfielder position. So I would say his worst moment is doable, but I would just say don't play him as a defender when you have to face a tall, uh, tall striker. That is what I would recommend. But I don't think Barcelona will do that because we have enough options there. And in the interviews I read, he is seen as an attacking midfielder. For us, so I don't think that's the problem. But the only thing I could also say is maybe he should give more assists and score more, especially if he's going to play as an interior. Then you cannot come away with um, five goals and one assist or something like that. You need more than that. But I'm sure he can do that because he has the technical quality and vision to find other players. Yeah, we had mentioned that's going to be the interesting thing about his future there being again 12. Matches this season at defensive midfielder, 11 at, you know, central midfielder, interior, um, in front of that, that, that two. But as you mentioned, Ajax does play in a 4-2-3-1. So it is a little bit different where you do have those two defensive midfielders um, yes. and breaking it up a little bit. So when we say a central midfielder for Ajax, we mean a much more attacking midfielder than we see for Barcelona in their current 4-3-3 and even in their sure. 4-4-2. Um, now, that said, you know, you talk about how important the transfer was for Barcelona to wrangle in. Jose Maria Bartomeu uh, reportedly made not only, but basically two trips to Amsterdam in the week. One to try to convince the player when it looked like he was lost to PSG. And then obviously one with the pictures that we saw with the handshaking and the contract signing and, and the jersey and all that. And CEO Oscar Grau also involved in this closing of the deal. It shows you again how important it was that such big figures, while Barcelona was about to play in that 
Copa del Rey match against Sevilla. So it tells you how much that Copa del Rey match was put on the back burner to get this all wrapped up that everyone's attention really was on that. Now, his price at 75 euros plus 11 uh, with his variables, it makes him the fifth most expensive Barcelona transfer behind Coutinho, Usmane Dembele, Neymar, and Luis Suarez. Then it's Lawton at 66, or that'd be Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but again, he prefers us just to use his first name. Another Ajax guy as well. Uh, Dani sure. Alves, David Villa, and Cesc Fabregas, as well as Polinho. All four of them were all for $40 million, so that's the drop-off end after that. But as we know, the market has changed, and when you think about 75 million euros plus 11 uh, on that five-year deal, is he too expensive? I know he's, he might be worth it, but is he too expensive? I think those two questions can actually work separately. I think people are tying them together, but I think you should ask them separately. You know, was he worth it? You and I, I think, unequivocally agree. That's why we're doing this emergency podcast because we're excited about this. But yes. is he too expensive, I think, is the important question that might also potentially be a yes. Um, you could say yes, definitely, um, because, but, wait, how do I say this first? You can say yes, because a player which is not known for a lot of goals or assists often will not go for such an amount. But like you said, the market changed. It also started with, for example, a defender like Virgil van Dijk. He went for almost 90 million. I think it was 85 yeah, I think he was 75 uh, plus add-ons as well. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And not saying he's not good or something like that, but before the PSG explosion, so the Mbappé and the Neymar transfers, uh, I don't think those kind of numbers would have happened as how they happen now. Because there was just a kind of inflation and the idea that that is the standard right now. Because you see it happening with more clubs. Players, when they... For example, Vinicius at Madrid. He is he was only sixteen or seventeen, and he and they paid forty or no, no even sixty million for him. And that's for somebody who doesn't even uh, was in Europe yet. Frankie at least has how much did you say? Sixty five games uh, for the first team. Yep. It's 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 expensive. It's too expensive. But in this market, I would say it's doable. Definitely, if you take in mind potential, which was the other question from you, is he worth it? And if you combine those two, I would say the answer is yes, definitely. We agree. Um, but pure looking at the financial aspect without taking in mind quality, etc., I would say it's too expensive. But still, I'm, I'm good for it because I see the potential. And also, if you don't do it, another club does it and you would miss out probably one of the players who is most handmade for Barcelona in years. So for me, it's a no-brainer, definitely. Yeah, I know people are already starting to yell about the Ligt, but for me, I think this closes a chapter where if Barcelona doesn't add anybody now for, you know, say a window and a half, I, I think a number nine is completely necessary, as we talked about, and we'll see how possible that is. So that might be, you know, the only place where any transfer, uh, transfer money should be used on you know, moving forward, I think, unfortunately, left back is another position of need. Barcelona is getting older. That's what we're seeing. And so True. part of what I, I think when people say and talk about his player wages, which is what we'll talk about real quick next, that if his wages truly are, you know, 10 million, then that does create a hierarchy problem, which you had already talked about within Barcelona now, 
that people are making too much and Barcelona's wage bill is already half a billion dollars and that's half a billion dollars and, and it is too much and it is inflated and it's not just the way the world works right now, it's that Barcelona are paying too much for all their players. Now that said, there's so many of them that are, that are over 30. So there's a lot of guys that will be coming off the books and I, I think that this does signal, it's odd because with him coming in for that amount because of his transfer, you don't see him looking at all the rest of Barcelona's midfielders fitting into that hierarchy on paper. Now, on the field is a different story. Of course, I, I think, again, that's where I'm very positive. But everyone seems to, and again, a, a friend of the show as well, brings up some good points, and Kevin Williams, that it does change a lot of things with having him in here. And as if Ernesto Valverde and Rakitic are still a part of this team, it seems like the way that Valverde plays and, again, what people are making... Frankie de Jong doesn't necessarily fit in that. He he represents a little bit of a change in the way that Barcelona might want to be playing and just what certain guys are making forces. Some of his high-earning teammates might find themselves on the way out. So I think Barcelona has a lot of changes on the horizon, and that's what this move has to represent, right? They can't just carry on with all the midfielders they currently have. And I'm not even talking about Rafinha, uh, who's injured, or Samper. I'm talking about the likes of Rakitic and potentially Vidal. Yes, yeah. I think um, I think. By the way, that from the ten million um, at first that was sad, but the day it was reported, also by Dutch media, that he's in the, he's in the third scale, even behind Alba and those kind of players. So that would mean around six to eight million. I think. I think it'd be a lot uh, better. But I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I just read it quickly in the timeline, but I had. Uh, um, some uh, college today, so I wasn't really paying attention. But if <laughs> if it's true, then that would be a bit better. And if not, like you said, people will have to make way. I had some discussions with a couple of Kules. For me, the time of Rakitic has come. I'm one of his biggest, probably, uh, people who defended him during all the years people critiqued him after the only year in which people said he was okay, which is the treble year. After that year, People said Rakitic holds back. He only plays back, etc. I don't agree with that, but I do agree that right now Barcelona has to go back to what they stood for: two interiors who are not afraid to turn, who can twist, who can control a game, and Busquets behind them, or somebody in the long run who can do what Busquets does. Not obviously as good as him, but who has the same profile. For example, Frankie could do that. I think he could, but I rather see him in a more advanced position. But that's another discussion. So then, for me, Rakitic has to go. There were rumors that PSG wanted him, that he had a pact with Valverde, um, and he had to play all the games, which he basically does now. So if that is true, it could be that they will return this summer, and they will try for him again. Especially, we know our relationship with PSG. It ain't that good, so they might try to scoop them away. Uh, especially if Valverde stays, they will try. So I think uh, he will definitely leave or maybe even be pushed out because they don't have a choice, basically. And about Fidal, he is just here for a year. But let's say we win the Champions League, which was his main goal. I think he has an argument to leave because he got what he wanted. The first thing he said in his interview was, I'm here to win the Champions League. That is the one thing he missed. He has Copa America, he has every title almost he probably will get the Spanish one let's hope so so if he has the Champions League that could be a argument for him to leave as well but with him I'm different because I think he's a player with a profile we don't have and we 
probably won't find again because he is so unique, so complete, such a warrior, basically. You're just already winning 1-0 with him on the pitch. So I would still keep him, even just as a, as an ideal 12th man, but I would not sell him. Unless he wants to go, then you could facil- facilitate it for him because obviously uh, he would deserve it then. Um, and then the number nine, Luis Suarez, um, which is also who is also getting older. Uh, also, if we won the Champions League, that would be at his peak, basically, then there would be not something better than after that for him, I think, with his age. I think he turned 32 today. So I think um, he could be another option to leave. Barcelona is looking for a new number nine that has been put in all the Spanish media. Jovic, Werner, um, Maxi, uh, what is his name? Maxi Gomez. Those players are named and, and more. For example, Pepe from Lille. Those kind of number nines are named and they are scouting them. And the favorite seems to be Jovic, but we will see. So I think with those kind of sales, Barca could make way. In their, in their wages, and also um, on the midfield for Frankie to make make his minutes. Because for me, Arthur is, is undisputed. He should play every game, every important game, and then Frankie could be his partner uh, in the coming year. That's what I expect to happen, or what I hope, maybe. Yeah, and there have been fears as well. The way I kind of talk myself out of Frankie de Young is that there might be worries that he's taking a few minutes away from Carlos Alenia, Ricky Puj, and, you know, guys that profile not in a similar way as Frankie de Jong, but have a similar role, aren't the Arturo Vidal types. So, you know, there is a worry that he's going to be blocking them. But I think when you look at Alenia and Puj and what they've shown so far, you know, the, the future is bright. And as much as Sergio Busquets is an absolute club legend, he is over 30 and Puj is just 19. And while they play different positions, when it comes to rotation and midfield minutes and what Barcelona's you know, depth chart looks like, we talked about the amount of games that Rakitic played this year because he was necessary to be played. If Barcelona could replace him with basically you know, 60% of one player and 40% of another in that time, that more than makes up for the minutes of Alenia and Puj. And when a guy like Alenia and Puj and those two can break in from La Masia, which is really, again, an important part of all this, that De Jong was brought in because he's a Barcelona type, because, you know, there is this novelty, there is this, how do I say it? We do, we do, we do look at it with, with Cruyff-tinted glasses that we say he's a Cruyff player, he belongs True. at Barcelona. And it was almost, as I said, it was... When we when we didn't think he was going to get him, that it was unfair of us to assume that it was our birthright and our you know it, it was our duty to get the young. If he didn't wind up at Barcelona, we would have just had to get over it, and that just would have had to been the case because we have all these players in La Masia that again it's been five six years since somebody broke through. It's time for someone to come through again, and sure. I think Alenia and Puj have to be in the midfield the next two in line and you know some of the other big news that even if de young didn't sign with barcelona this week Iliaps moriba the the ter who just turned 16 in the middle of january instead of going to chelsea or man city he it was it seemed like he was on the outs a number of times in uh when he was going to turn 16 in the fall here but he is re-upped with barcelona and when you look at guys like that who are we have a ton of talented 16-year-old midfielders, a few that are 17, 18. So they have to know that even though a guy like De Young was brought in, 
there's a certain way that Barcelona play. There's a certain novelty to it. And if you can excel at that top level, there is still a place for you at the club. And that is a tough balance for any manager, not just Valverde, but in the future for Barcelona to, to have to be able to deal with that rotation. And the last thing of it I'd say is, is that I think not always it a good problem to have, but if you make it into the Barcelona first team, and it has been a little bit of time since somebody busted through, but as we've seen with Alenia, yes, they fell against Sevilla yesterday, and he wasn't perfect, but if you're good enough to make the Barca first team from La Mazia, you will. And if they're given the opportunity to, even with De Young in the club, that's going to set Barcelona's midfield up for even more success. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I always said that guys like Puch and Alenia didn't need to worry. I even wrote a whole thread on it, um, which I explained that players would leave. I talked about Paulinho. He left a bit earlier than I expected, but nobody uh, minds, I guess. Um, Rakitic, I really expect him to leave next year. I would be really um, surprised if he if he's still staying because he's getting older. He has done his job, basically, and they, they renewed with Frankie. And you have Alenia, like you said, who really impressed me in the last two months or so. First, I thought, not that he wasn't good enough, but he, but he still had to learn some things. And now I could say he learned it. Um, he is making his minutes in La Liga, in the in the Copa. Now only the Champions League remains. So let's see if he gets some minutes sometimes as a substitution, maybe against Lyon. But he is re- he is here to stay. And Puch, that guy is incredible. You see what he's doing in the B squad. You saw him in the pre uh, preseason. Um, I think from next season, he will get um, the kind of treatment that Alenia is having right now. That's what I expect. Um, so, you're right. Those guys, they need their minutes. And when Rakitic leaves, uh, you could divide those 60-40 percentage, like you said. And they can have their minutes and, yeah, make the minutes for um, for Barcelona in the first team. And that way, alongside the young, we will have a signing that is basically made for our football, but not forget about what made us great, which is La Masia. And the one thing that those two have to remember and keep in mind is that Safi and Iniesta had to wait a couple of years too while making minutes for becoming the absolute best midfielders in history. So if Barcelona is um, is willing to keep them and just use them in the squad, like you said, for me, it's a perfect solution. Now, we don't have to buy other midfielders just the youngest strategical signing and then um, keep improving the team with La Masia talent because it's about time they got the chance and uh, they do their thing to make to make Barcelona a better club with their own youth. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and again, it's a tough thing. Rakitic is the name that pops up the most because I think he is turning 31 in March, so not that he's on the downside of his career. He's not in the twilight of his career, if you will, but I, I think he's certainly on the downslope of it. But it hasn't really suffered, and he's been playing all these minutes, and he's still a top-level guy. And I think that's the point here, that Rakitic is the guy that's probably going to fetch the biggest transfer. So that's why, unfortunately, he's labeled as odd man out, even though, as again, um, this is backing up something that Kevin had even said on our show a few weeks ago, that, and we talk about it, Noel, that we're not hating on Rakitic the way he plays, because he has been essential to Barcelona under Ernesto Valverde. I mean, so important. I mean, arguably... Other than Messi, the most important piece of last year's double was even Rakitic, and he's been so important to their success this season as well. So this is not a a insult to Rakitic, but merely saying that because he's going to be 31 and 
we're not forcing him out and saying it's time for you to leave or time for you to retire, but saying that you are still at the top of your game. But there are other guys who are younger that are going to be playing in your spot for the next 10 years, and it might be their time. And that's okay to move on for players for that reason and that reason alone. Now, we've been very serious this whole pod, Noel, and we're going to wrap things up in just a minute here with this final question. Yes. The most important one I think I've asked. Where does Barcelona Twitter go from here? And what I mean by this is that there were so many times when I had even written in that, again, that self-indulgent article where, again, I can say that I was completely wrong. And uh, unlike <laughs> a lot of people on the Internet, I think it's OK to be wrong. So I believe that he was going to PSG. I was wrong and he's coming to Barcelona. So, of course, I'm over the moon and I'm really happy that I'm wrong. But that said, Barca Twitter you know, when he was going to PSG, absolutely combusted. Now, all the things that we've discussed and all the different arguments we've had, um, it, uh, social media has it tenfold. Um, sure. So I, I guess the point is that I, I hope that cynically this hasn't revealed something about the fan base, that not only are we divided so, so quickly, which we are, but that there are so many contradicting mythos about what Barcelona need to be and what they need to represent. And I think this... I don't mean to make something more of it, but I, I think that this transfer and this kind of player was the perfect storm of a guy that could create division in a fan base. Because again, he was a guy that felt La Masia, but isn't La Masia. That he's a guy that wants and has dreamed of coming to the club, but he's also super expensive. And he wound up being all of these things and both sides of every argument. So it, it did create a, a lot of unnecessary fighting within a fan base. True. It's uh, also a thing that the moment the PSG news broke, and like you said, it was pretty much done. And afterwards, Frankie even confirmed that it was not done, but that he he made his mind up. And Barcelona changed his mind when they went in real serious. That was literally what he said. So um, when that happened, like you said, a lot of Kool-Aid tweeted stuff like Frankie the bomb, Frankie the overrated, um, I also like Awad from Lyon. I told you that. And I said, I tweeted, I will be honest, I tweeted, I'm, I'm disappointed that Frankie picked PSG. Now let's go all in for Awad because he is also a very good player. And I literally accepted it. I, was, I wasn't happy, but I wasn't like saying he is shit or something like that. I, yeah. I, will, I, would, ever, I would forever be a fan still because his way of playing, and I knew, know him since he played for Vietnam 3, I just, I'm just a fan. So I would still be a fan. Um, but then the moment the news came back that Barcelona convinced him when they went on Thursday, uh, last Thursday they went to Amsterdam and Bartomeu went and he took over from Abidal and uh, Segura. And then there was the moment when you saw people who were first saying overrated, we don't need him, La Masia this, La Masia this, Awar and Dombele, etc. They turned immediately and they were like, yes. We got, we're going to get him. We're going to bully PSG and stuff like that. So you're right. There's a kind of hypocritical factor, I would say. Um, but now I think everyone agrees that he is a, he is a strategical signing. Um, but the only thing is I find it weird that people now suddenly um, deny that they were mad and they thought he wasn't needed. Yeah, I, I'm like, just be honest, because it's okay. We all make mistakes. Like you said, you wrote a whole article on it, and that article was honest with your opinion, the way you thought it should be. And back then, it seemed as if that was a fact, you know? So I understand. But uh, like you said, Barcelona Twitter now, 
how do we continue? Well, I already saw <laughs> talks, talks about new signings, like you said, the Licht. <laughs> so, uh, and Mark Overmars, just in front of the game of Ajax, he said that he there is no news. There is no news shortly. So it might take another soap or saga for the Licht to move. So who knows? Maybe Barcelona's in. Bartomeu said there's still time till the summer. So he might doubt to sign in, but but maybe who knows? They are already having plans. They are already making plans to generate money to spy him because we still have players on loan with a nice um, uh, possible transfer amount. For example, Andre Gomez is doing really well in in the Premier League, which can generate at least forty to fifty million. Denis Suarez will go for twenty million. Um, Rafinha might go for twenty or thirty million. That's already like hundred million more than we have now. So I don't think we will not have the money. But time will tell what we will do and what is necessary. Definitely the number nine. But I also think another CB would not be bad because we don't know if Todibo will be ready, the young signing. So yeah, that's basically how I think Barca Twitter will continue. I hope a lot of more people will uh, admit that they were wrong when they said uh, Frankie the overrated and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so yeah, that's how I see it. Winning helps. And of course, Barca, kool you can't just win, you have to win in a certain way as well. True. Um, and I think Frankie de Jong will help do that. And uh, I think that will calm everybody for a bit. Um, and then, of course, maybe this is even a preparation for us where you know almost have to whisper it that in, in four, five, six years' time when, when Messi is on his way out, boy, oh boy, is that going to be a fun every single day. But we're going to put that on the back burner. <laughs> we don't want to think about that at all again. No, uh, exactly. This was just about Frankie de Jong um, and Noel. We did talk about Twitter here at the end here in, again, lightly and in fun. But where else can people find you? Uh, they can find me also on Instagram. Um, where it's the same name as on, um, as on Twitter, just Noel Wenshart. Um And also, if you want it, you can add me on Snapchat, <laughs> which is uh, Noelinho. Just how you write the Ronaldinho with my first name, Noel. Pretty easy. So, uh, and just Twitter, of course. You can just uh, always send me a mention and DM. After the Frankie saga, I got a lot of followers, so always nice to get to know new people. So yeah, that's it. Well, not only thank you for coming on the show, but again, we talked about uh, some of the people who might have been a little more ignorant to all these things. But again, if you've got this show in your ears and you're clearly looking for more and better information, and as we talk about some of the most unmissable opinions from the Barcelona community, including Noel and you know one of our Dutch experts, if you will. And we thank him for coming on the show. And we thank you for listening, where you can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. And you can get in touch with Noel on all the places that he said. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13. For me, on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions. And you can also help us out on Patreon. We can get the quick take match reviews where last or last night, if you will, I went on about the Sevilla loss and some of the frustrations from that. And you can get that for $1, $3 over on Patreon at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. It also keeps the lights on here on the show. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.